October 22 is a very significant day in the history of our beginnings. Welcome to the Adventist History Podcast. This is Season 2, Episode 42, Questions on Doctrine, Part 6. Last time, we talked about M. L. Andreasen's forceful reaction to the Adventist Evangelical Conferences and the impending publication of Questions on Doctrine. Well, we got to the publication of Questions on Doctrine at the end. But anyways, Andreasen considered the Adventist negotiators and eventually the General Conference President Ruben Figure to be guilty of conspiracy against God. And in October 1957, just one month after QOD was published, Andreasen warned President Figure that he was prepared to start writing to dozens of church leaders to widen the circle. Well, Figure declared that the case was closed as far as he was concerned and told Andreasen to stop agitating on the issue. It was wishful thinking. Let's pick up where we left off in October 1957, where the annual Council of Church Leaders was meeting in Washington, D.C. Andreasen, true to his word, released a document he titled A Review and a Protest. The Great Dane was dressing up as Martin Luther for Halloween this year. Andreasen began with these words, quote, It is with sorrow that I write this, but as other doors are closed, this seems to be the only way that I can bring certain matters before the church. For more than 60 years, I have served the church in various capacities, and I love it as my own soul. As I see it, it is in the process of being led astray, I must not keep silent, end quote. Andreasen's point in his protest was to tackle what he saw as the main issue at stake, the doctrine of the atonement. Avenus believed, Andreasen claimed, that the death of Jesus was only the beginning of the process of making atonement for people, not the end. According to the church's understanding of the sanctuary, Jesus, as both our sacrifice and our high priest, then had to go into the holy place of the heavenly sanctuary to make intercession for us. And in 1844, he entered the most holy place of the heavenly sanctuary, just as the human high priest did once a year on the Day of Atonement. Now, when Jesus' work in the most holy place is over, atonement has been made. This is why the year 1844 is significant to Adventists. So for Leroy Froome to write in his February 1957 article that the cross is a complete, perfect, and final atonement for man's sin is, to Andreasen, an epic betrayal. The idea that all atonement was finished at the cross means, well, that 1844, the heavenly sanctuary, the investigative judgment, all of that would mean nothing, and thus... Adventism would mean nothing, and thus Ellen White, who taught this stuff, would mean nothing. So can you understand why Andreasen simply couldn't let this go? Andreasen closed his letter with a lengthy quote from Uriah Smith to back him up. Andreasen quotes Uriah Smith as saying, in all caps, I will add, quote, the death of Christ and the atonement are not the same thing, end quote. Someone, perhaps Roy Allen Anderson himself, scribbled in the margin, 
Who made Uriah Smith the authority for Adventist doctrine in 1957? Albert Olson, chair of the White Estate Board of Trustees, called Andreasen's review and protest violent. A few weeks later, Andreasen reworked his review and protest letter into an essay he called The Atonement and released it to an even wider audience, church employees. Now, the Great Dane had developed his objections, adding more quotes and intensifying his language. He acknowledged that all of his concerns with questions on doctrine were about one chapter on the atonement, and that the rest of questions on doctrine was actually really helpful. Yet the implications of the issues he raised went far beyond a problem with one chapter or a problem with one bit of theology. He wrote that, quote, the tendency of the ministry is to downgrade Mrs. White, end quote. Roy Anderson, editor of The Ministry, took umbrage at that, writing several exclamation marks in the margin next to that comment. Andreasen went on about how this was the final apostasy, the omega that Ellen White had long warned about. He claimed Froome's teaching, quote, emasculates our special message, end quote, and, quote, threatens our corporate existence, end quote. More issues of the atonement flowed from his pen. In Atonement Number 4, the Great Dane said that, quote, In my many years of teaching and in my association with hundreds of teachers, I have never, never heard of anyone even mention that Adventists taught or believed that atonement was made on the cross. The doctrine is as foreign to them as is the immortality of the soul or Sunday sacredness. End quote. Andreasen admitted that one passage in QOD caused him to turn away and weep. I protest, he wrote, quote, with loud voice I protest, and a hundred thousand people will protest with me. End quote. Just take a moment and step back. Imagine being an Adventist in these days. Church papers are trumpeting how the church has never before published a book as useful as questions on doctrine. It's selling like hotcakes. Look, this person likes it. This non-Avenist scholar likes it. This church leader likes it. This popular Avenist preacher likes it. Everybody likes it. It's such a wonderful, wonderful book. So you go to your local Avenist book and Bible house, the, the precursor to the ABC, which is the precursor to Amazon.com, and you pick up a copy. As you hold it, another customer walks in, sees you with the book, and, and quietly hands you a copy of Andreasen's The Atonement, which warns you that this book you're holding is not this great book that the church publications would have you believe. Really, it's the greatest literary betrayal in Adventist history. And that Adventism cannot survive if you read this book and you believe what's in this book. Okay, what do you do? Well, as you're thinking about it, some local Baptist minister that you recognize, he and his friend come in the store because they want to know what all this fuss is. They had heard something about questions on doctrine and some controversy in the Adventist church. They, they Maybe they read Eternity Magazine and were familiar with what Barnhouse and Martin had written. So they come in to see for themselves. So they come, stand next to you, they pick up QOD. And, and while 
they're talking about it. This Baptist minister's friend at one point urges him not to buy QOD because evangelicals like Martin DeHaan and ex-Adventists like E.B. Jones are saying that, that questions on doctrine show that Adventism hasn't changed. That QOD was nothing but an Adventist scam to fool evangelicals into thinking the church had changed when it really hadn't. So you're standing there and you have a tract from Andreasen in one hand telling you that QOD is a complete betrayal of Adventist theology. It's a final apostasy for the church. We've given up everything so we can be like an evangelical. And then, on the other hand, you overhear this Baptist preacher's friend saying, hey, the evangelicals are saying that Adventists haven't changed anything. They haven't given anything up. It's still the same old church. What are you supposed to do with that information? Who are you expected to believe? Is QOD this great new explanation of the Adventist faith, like church leaders were saying? Or was it the face of the new apostasy, like Andreasen was saying? Would you buy the book? Would you walk away? Whom do you believe? With the Atonement article circulating, Figure knew that they could not let Andreasen go unanswered. After a testy exchange with Andreasen, in which the Great Dane suggested that Figure didn't have the theological chops to hold court on the doctrine of the atonement, Figure led the General Conference leadership to formally ask Andreasen to stop agitating. Do you want to talk about an Omega apostasy? Figure was telling Andreasen, it is you who is causing an Omega. Quote, Omegas of confusion, misunderstanding, and destructiveness that undermine the church of God. End quote. A few days later, Figure hinted that Andreasen's church pension, which back then they called the Sustentation Fund, might be in jeopardy if he kept this up. Is it proper, Figure wrote to the president of a union, quote, to let a man like this carry on disturbing work, setting himself against the leadership of the denomination as he does, end quote? While Figure's frustration was understandable, even the slightest hint that Andreasen's retirement fund might be in jeopardy was, let's just say by today's standards, a really low blow. Whatever church leaders might feel about Andreasen now, he had devoted his life to the church. And, in my opinion, he'd earned his retirement. Figure's strong arm technique backfired in any case because Andreasen took the hint. He wrote, quote, Your UKs, we'll get to that word in a second, that my continued activities will undoubtedly bring up my relationship to the church, of course means that my credentials and sustentation will or may be revoked. This is a good and forceful argument, but in the United States of America, it is a cheap and silly one. It may be effective at cowing inferiors, time servers, slaves, but not men. And of course, it is a psychological mistake. Denominationally, it is illegal." End quote. That word in the beginning, UKs, is probably as familiar to you as it was to me. It referred to a Russian czar's arbitrary decree. We might say fiat or executive order today. Andreasen was positioning figure as a Russian czar while situating himself as living in the United States of America, which had no room for dictators. Later on, Andreasen would take a step further and hint at a connection between figure and Adolf Hitler. Andreasen wasn't done yet. 
Quote, I am a man of peace. I can be reasoned with, but no man can threaten me and expect to avoid the consequences. So I hope you will not renege on your threat, but will carry through. You have disqualified yourselves by judging without a hearing. The next higher authority is the people. You say the matter is settled. You have closed the door. The matter is not settled and never can be with a threat. End quote. In one half-hearted hint, Figure had given Andreasen enough ammo to continue the fight for a long, long time. Andreasen warned that the general conference would bully any employee that dares to oppose QOD. So church leaders could only watch this situation spiral out of control with dismay. The Pacific Union president, for his part, suggested that Andreasen might have a mental illness, and then wrote Andreasen and told him as much. This was clearly getting out of hand. Andreasen wasn't alone, of course. A number of Adventist clergy and laypeople alike voiced their suspicion of the things happening around the church headquarters in Washington, D.C. Even an editor at the Review, though no fan of Andreasen in this mess, questioned Figure about how the president was handling the situation. This editor wrote that the decision not to include Andreasen was a political blunder, and that there must be room to criticize questions on doctrine. In effect, he was asking, what kind of church will we be if church members must simply accept whatever book the church publishes as the gospel truth or else? Milton Kern, the first dean of the Adventist Seminary, called the situation a first-class emergency and begged Figure to appoint Andreas into a committee to oversee a revision of QOD. This review editor and Kern were both supporters of the General Conference and even QOD, but they had sympathy for Andreasen. Outside of the GC, plenty of lay people and ministers were, shall we say, a little less deferential to the General Conference. In the Loma Linda area, a group of church members formed a committee they called Committee for the Revision of Questions on Doctrine, because if you're an Adventist wanting to affect change in the world, you form a committee. This committee saw the QOD controversy as the most serious threat to the church since John Harvey Kellogg. Like Andreasen, they saw the GC as trying to impose some new theology on the church, and regardless of what that theology was, in principle, they were going to oppose it. Further north, A.L. Hudson, a lay Adventist preacher in Oregon, circulated a petition to place this concern with QOD as an official item on the agenda to be discussed at the next general conference session. Hudson was a formidable force, as we'll see in the next episode, and this did not bode well for the leaders in Washington. There's also some evidence that teachers expressed some interest in what Andreasen was writing. In his final atonement essay, Andreasen wrote that, quote, teachers may use this as a basis for class discussion. A limited number of copies may be had for such a purpose, end quote. Here we see Andreasen's interest in getting the message out, but also in pumping the brakes. He authorized a limited number of copies of his atonement series for use in the classroom. It seems that Andreasen was caught between two values. First, the value of protesting against the hijacking of the church he loved, but also the value of not becoming a troublemaker. And that was a really fine line to walk. This is the fascinating thing about Andreasen. He had both supporters and sympathizers, even at the highest levels of the church. But the great groundswell of a 100,000 zealous Adventists all opposed to QOD never materialized, as Andreasen had predicted. 
It's hard to say how many Adventists might have supported Andreasen had it been presented to them as a clear choice. Perhaps the majority might have followed him. Maybe not. We just don't know. But it's worth pausing and thinking about this for a moment. We talk about questions on doctrine as this big controversy. But we don't often ask why it didn't become a great controversy. Why didn't it rip the church in two? Why didn't a hundred thousand Adventists rise up? Why didn't more people protest the way church leaders weren't being transparent about the Adventist evangelical conferences? One of the reasons is that Andreasen wasn't trying to make his protest completely public, right? He was afraid of being seen as a troublemaker. He wrote first to church leaders, mostly figure, then he wrote more generally to church employees, and he was particular about this, because you had to write him if you wanted an issue of the atonement. Of course, I'm sure counterfeit copies or, or unauthorized copies, I should say, probably found their way out, right? But you had to write him and ask him for a copy, and once he had your name, he would look you up in the Adventist yearbook, which had a list of all the church employees, and if your name wasn't in there, he wouldn't send you one. You had to be a church employee, or else you couldn't get a copy. He was trying to do this in what he thought was the correct way. But another reason might be that Andreasen's fiery rhetoric burned bridges, especially among the church's leadership. That review editor that told Figure that it was a mistake not to invite Andreasen to be a part of the process? Yeah. Well, he still called Andreasen's letters, quote, petulant, exaggerated, and unbalanced, even irritating, end quote. So it was relatively hard to actually get your hands on something Andreasen had written, and once you did, it was even harder for people to go as far as he did, even if they had some basic sympathy for him. To put it bluntly... It seems that the protest against QOD didn't go further because the protest was wrapped in Andreasen's own explosive personality. Because it wasn't just about one chapter in one book for Andreasen, he was selling a whole story of how church leaders were part of some conspiracy to compromise Adventism to be like the evangelicals, and this was all part of a great Omega prophecy which Ellen White had predicted, and this was it. This was somehow part of the end times. So it wasn't just you have to believe that, that this theological position was wrong. If you were in Andreasen's camp, you had to accept this whole grand story that he was selling. I imagine that many people couldn't quite go that far, in part because very few people actually knew what happened at these Adventist evangelical conferences. So how can you say for sure that the brethren sold the church down the river? Are we really going to believe Barnhouse over our own people? But Andreasen's protest did get some traction, of course, and that traction among the Adventist public probably owed as much to Figure's fumbling as it did to Andreasen's crusade. In early February 1958, there was a break in the clouds. Figure and the Pacific Union Conference president agreed to meet Andreasen at the Union office. Andreasen seemed relieved at the prospect of getting an official hearing at GC headquarters, which is what they were going to discuss. He only had one request, that the hearing be made public or that someone take minutes of what was said and he be given a copy. Well, the GC officers agreed to record it and to give Andreasen a copy, something, by the way, that Andreasen had asked for the last time 
and several times. He wanted the meeting, he wanted the hearing, and he wanted a copy of the, of the minutes. So this demand was nothing new. Now, the meeting ended up being delayed. It was supposed to take place in late February, but Andreasen's wife became ill, so they had to push it back. And, when on, and then Andreasen latched on to a part of a sentence in a letter from Figur and wouldn't let go. Figur had written that the meeting had two purposes. Number one, it was to address Andreasen's activities over the past year, as well as, number two, concerns Andreasen had over QOD. Well, Andreasen had no desire to discuss the things he had written over the past year, or if he did, he also wanted to discuss things that the general conference officers had also written over the past year, and here he's probably thinking a lot of these, a lot of these uh, Roy Allen Anderson articles in ministry that were quietly against him. So he didn't really want to go down that road. What he wanted was to talk about QOD. Andreasen was being a bit of a pain now that he was so close to achieving his goal of having a hearing. But the Great Dane was, in fact, on to something. He had read between the lines and he had sniffed out that Figure was far more interested in dealing with Andreasen's activities than he was in dealing with Andreasen's concerns with QOD. And Andreasen was far more interested in presenting about QOD than he was answering questions about some letters he had written. So both sides were shaping up to attend this meeting with completely opposite goals. And while the GC officers had voted to take minutes as well as to record it on tape and that a copy would be given to Andreasen, Figur seemed reluctant to confirm this to Andreasen and... Andreasen kept insisting, this is a non-negotiable item for me. I need to have a copy of the minutes, or if necessary, a copy of the audio, if that was better. But Figur seems to have deeply misunderstood Andreasen here, is wanting, is demanding a copy of the audio, because he was afraid what Andreasen would do if he got a copy of the audio of their discussion. First of all, you know, people make comments off the record during these meetings, and audio would not be able to distinguish between a comment on the record or off the record. But plus, you know, even in these early days of audio recordings, it was very much possible to splice some words together and make a church leader say something they didn't say or to take it out of context or something. And Figure did not want to trust Andreasen with an audio recording. But the reality is Andreasen was only asking for a written transcription of what was said. That's what he wanted. He didn't really want the audio recording. He wanted a transcription of it. He wanted something written down that he could read and consult when he needed to recollect what was said at the meeting. He mentioned a copy of the audio only if that would be easier for Figure. But Figure took him to mean that he was demanding a copy of the audio and that's what he wanted. So the officers decided that no tape would be made and that only what Figure called the conclusions of the meeting would be written down. Now, Andreasen was furious at what he called Figure's broken promises. Who decides what the conclusions of the meeting are? But Julius Nam points out that by conclusions, Figure meant a full written record of the meeting, the minutes. For some insane reason, the word conclusions and minutes meant the same thing to Figure, and yet... Later on, I should add, those words seem to not mean the same thing to Figure because sometimes he uses them interchangeably and sometimes it seems he uses them as if they mean two different things. So it's very unclear what he meant here, but his inability to clarify or to express himself in a way that Andreasen would understand was crucial. 
because this meeting never happened, in large part because Figure fumbled by failing to communicate clearly. Of course, this atmosphere of mutual mistrust just made it all the more likely that something was going to be misunderstood, an atmosphere that Figure had fostered by not being transparent about what was happening at these Avenus evangelical conferences. And of course, Andreasen had made it so much worse by assuming the worst about church leaders. There were attempts to salvage the situation and get a meeting back on track. R.R. Beats and Milton Kern both tried to intercede on Andreasen's behalf. Beats advised Figure to show the old man love and not treat him like an administrative problem. Both men suggested inviting Andreasen to the upcoming general conference session for a chat on the sidelines. Figure was told to just give him the minutes of the meeting already, who cares? <laughs> and Beats and Kern both thought this was only the beginning of a big storm that was to come, so better to end it now. Let's keep engaging with Andreasen and not turn to discipline. But it was too late. Figure was done with Andreasen. He discounted Andreasen's influence and demanded that Andreasen stop writing before there's any talk of sitting at the table together. And Figure had again misread Andreasen, because Andreasen had seemed eager to meet and voluntarily had put down his pen while he and Figure were exchanging letters about a meeting. And plus, Andreasen's final atonement essay in March 1958 was a rhetorical de-escalation. It felt like he was walking back, not in his arguments, but in his tone. And Figure took all of this as a sign that Andreasen was tired and close to calming down. Beats, Kern, even the Pacific Union president tried to tell Figure that Andreasen wasn't giving up. The Union president warned Figure after meeting with the Great Dane that Andreasen wanted to become a martyr. And Figure, who felt undoubtedly that he was the victim in this whole thing, couldn't understand how Andreasen could see himself as the martyr here. After all, Figure wasn't the one publishing these letters attacking Andreasen month after month after month after month. Well, if Figure could have read Andreasen's mail, he would have known that the Great Dane wasn't backing down, because just a few weeks after his final atonement essay, Andreasen wrote to the editor of Barnhouse's Eternity magazine to ask whether Froome and company had promised not to proselytize or convert other Christians. This was, as you may recall, a great annoyance to the evangelicals. Andreasen got a hold of a transcript somehow of an interview someone at Eternity had had with an Adventist missionary who all but admitted that Adventists would continue to seek the conversion of other Christians. Now, it's unclear what Andreasen did or wanted to do with this information, but it's clear enough that even while having peace talks with Figure, he was still digging for some more dirt about these Adventist evangelical conferences and QOD. All the while, Figure's deputies, especially Roy Allen Anderson, continued to reply to Andreasen's arguments in the Adventist press. Never by name, of course. If you weren't aware, all of this would have probably gone over your head. But if you had managed to snag some copies of the Atonement, and then you read the Adventist Press, notably Ministry, you could tell that these articles that appeared in, in these magazines were no accident. Figure expected Andreasen to stop. That's what you do when your superior in the church makes a request of you. But why would Andreasen stop so long as, from his view, the church kept shoving QOD down everyone's throats. Nevertheless, Andreasen did take a break 
after his ninth atonement essay. He hadn't given up, but it was what people might call an operational pause. During this pause, both sides regrouped. Because, you see, while church leaders may publicly wish for peace, and maybe even privately wish for peace during such conflicts, conflict is also an opportunity for local church officials to prove themselves helpful to the brass in Washington, D.C. C.J. Ritchie, head of the Home Missionary Department for the Oregon Conference, took the opportunity in the summer of 1958 to provide Roy Anderson with a 13-page analysis of Andreasen's arguments and why they are wrong. At the end, Ritchie recommended that the upcoming General Conference session officially endorse questions on doctrine as the official position of the Church. Ritchie's analysis, however, was old news in one respect, because until now, Andreasen's critique of QOD had been in how it presents the atonement. But while Ritchie was critiquing Andreasen on the atonement, Andreasen had found a new reason to hate questions on doctrine. After spending over a year critiquing QOD over how it handled the atonement, Andreasen was prepared to open up a second theological front. This time, it would be over the nature of Christ and the last generation. Hey, it's me again. If this episode didn't quench your desire for more Adventist history content, then go subscribe to Adventist History Extra. It's a private podcast that I do for those who support the Adventist History Project. You can get access to Adventist History Extra on the website, which is AdventistHistoryProject.org, or by becoming a patron at Patreon.com. Now, there's more variety at Adventist History Extra, in case you were wondering. I do some interviews. Sometimes I do bonus episodes. You know, I, we had a good episode here in the Adventist History Podcast, and I want to talk some more about it. Other times, I go behind the scenes at conferences I attend, like the Women in Seventh-day Adventist History Conference. What's more, just as a second announcement for you, Michael Campbell and I are leading a bus tour in October 2024. So... If you want to go drive around New England a bit, see the, see the sights and have some fun, well, you can sign up for our bus tour newsletter, once again, at AdventistHistoryProject.org. And we're going to keep you up to date there about what you need to know to go and sign up for that and all of that. So just to be very, 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 very clear, we don't have a sign up for the bus tour itself, but it's a sign up for the newsletter so you can stay informed about the bus tour so I don't have to make announcements every single time and interrupt these episodes and all of that. That's where those announcements are going to be. So if you're interested, head on over to the website. You can sign up for the bus tour newsletter over there. Okay, I think that about does it. Thanks again for listening.